Unless you folks have been living under a rock, you've probably heard of a PCI. You are a founder in maybe the hottest space right now. How do you kind of make sure you guys win? Because you are in a moment in time right now, which is quite unique. Companies are all about recognizing one truth. And the best way for you to learn the truth is learn a bunch of small truths every single week. By the end of Friday, if you didn't learn something new that week about your own company or your product or your users, you failed that week. You suddenly came out of quote unquote nowhere, but maybe go back in time a little bit. Walk us through maybe your academic path. John Shulman, the guy who invented ChatGPT at OpenAI, invited me to do an internship. So that changed my life. I got into OpenAI and that's when I knew this is the future. You got to work on unsupervised learning. How does perplexity stop itself from kind of being commoditized and kind of stay ahead of the curve? Most people don't realize that. Okay, folks, hey. We have a fantastic episode for you here today. Uh, let me read this out. Arvind Srinivas is an Indian-American computer scientist, researcher, and programmer who is the founder and CEO of Perplexity AI, a company focused on building an AI chat-based search engine. He holds a master's in engineering from uh, IIT Madras, PhD in computer science from University of California, Berkeley. Srinivas worked as a research intern at OpenAI, DeepMind, Google. He co-founded Perplexity AI with Dennis Yartz and Andy Kronwinski, aiming to create an AI chat-based search engine utilizing advanced AI such as GPT-3. His work involves areas like deep learning, reinforcement learning, contrast learning, and generative models. Now, Arvind, you, you can guess where I just read that from, uh, you know, because what I did is instead of an app, you know, I basically that are popped in, who is Arvind Srinivas, into Perplexity AI, and it kind of gave me a good summary on you. And unless you folks have been living under a rock, you've probably heard of Perplexity AI. You've definitely seen Arvind's tweets. He's probably one of the best people on Twitter. Uh, but Arvind, uh, thank you and welcome to the show. Thank you, Srinam. Thank you, Arati. You know what? I'm going to get into some serious stuff in just a second. Let me ask you this. How did you get so good at Twitter? Like, what's the deal? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, the A16Z joke, like you're, you're basically a media company and like you're doing your actual thing as a hobby. I have looked at all you guys, like Mark Andreessen um, uses Twitter really well. Elon uses Twitter. Sam Altman, mm -hmm. Uh, uses Twitter very well. So from the beginning, I knew that uh, having a Twitter game was going to be very important, yeah. um, especially if you're directly targeting the consumer. Yeah. It's very especially hard. Especially if you can now make, you've made $40 now out of Twitter. Oh, yeah. So yeah, you I, can only I, go up from here. I know, I know. I want to I want to read out one of your tweets just from like 12 hours ago. Setting up my stripe for getting my ex earnings finally earned 40 bucks a month. Mark Andreessen agreed to talk more often. He no longer considers me poor. Explain this tweet. Well, there was a TechCrunch article uh, that said Mark Andreessen is like out of touch with reality. When was the last time he talked with a poor person? Mm -hmm. Right? So it was a reference to that. And it was also a reference to the fact that X hardly pays anybody. And so it was all like, you know, a joke. I allow that. Posts. They call it. They, they call these shit posts, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're very good at it. Shit posts. <laughs> uh, very good. My favorite one, uh, Arvind, and I, you know, I like this so much. I send it to all of the founders and CEOs I work with because Arvind sort of like, you know, he's the company is obviously fantastic, and you're a fantastic founder and so capable. But it's very rare for somebody to also then be very good at Twitter. So my favorite one recently is when you well. You basically announced that everyone from Jensen Huang to everyone is joining Perplexity AI. So that is the thing, right? Like, you know, you had a lot there of famous. There was a oh, small the, part the of. Rumor, uh, yes, exactly. The rumor. The rumor that, yeah, yeah. That, that was just for. Uh, that was a shit post again. 
And then Yamikon yeah. replied to it saying, let's start another rumor, Ilya Sutskiver is showing perplexity. And then I quote tweeted him saying like, neither can neither confirm nor deny. And then like, yeah. actually journalists did message me and ask, hey, like, is Karpati joining perplexity? And I hope you said like, cannot confirm or deny, no comment, right? Like, it's just like, stay with that. Ladies and gentlemen, our audience here, I'm going to join Perplexity AI, can't confirm, cannot or, confirm deny. or deny, you know, stay tuned well, to find out. Arvind should be saying that, not as Shriram. Like, I don't think you're getting how this all works. Like, I for a VC, you're not really good at shit posts. Uh, that is true. That is true. But it's hard to compete with Mark. He's the best. Um, but uh, I mean, I, mean I, I don't. Sort of joking aside, he, he he's very good at Twitter, and I think that is a serious skill. Um, you know, I want to get into a little bit of story a little bit, right? Because I think for a lot of people who may be following this show, uh, you kind of suddenly came out of quote unquote nowhere, uh, maybe a year or so ago, and you know, obviously a lot of people now have perplexity on their home uh, page or you know on, on their home screen. But maybe go back in time a little bit, right? Like walk us through maybe your academic path. So you went to IIT, right? Walk us through that time and maybe that era of Aravind. I joined IIT not because I wanted to build stuff or anything like that. Uh, that was the thing that garnered enough respect and status. And, you know, I chased it just like everybody else. Um, math, physics, chemistry, all these things came pretty naturally. Like it, I didn't have to work. I worked hard. That, that, that's not what I'm trying to say. But it, 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 working hard to be better than the other best people, rather than like working hard to actually understand things. That was that part was never never hard. Um, but I was disappointed. Like I didn't get computer science in IIT Madras. Um, and um, my friends who coached like were training together with me for JE all got into computer science. And um, for a whole one year, I was just depressed. And I mostly hung out with them. Um, at the end of your first semester, IIT gives you an option to change your branch to if you get above a certain CGPA. And I missed that by 0 0.01. Um, oh, man. I thought that was the end of the world. I was so mad at like myself and I just like went into a whole shell. But that's when I discovered like a lot of these online lectures and uh, like online um, competitive programming sites. And because I, I wasn't talking to anybody else, I was just like absorbing myself and learning all these things myself, um, trying to solve all these problems myself. I started coding a lot, actually, Mo mostly out of like, at that time as a, as a kid, it was more out of like vengeance. Let me prove the world wrong. I'm actually good at this. But uh, all that helped me later. Like I had a great background in um, Python way before other people at IIT. Because Python was still not a language that even my computer science friends focused on. So I got a good hang of uh, all these things that machine learning people use. For no reason, I just learned learned it because I wanted to learn as much. NumPy, all this like scikit-learn, random ML contests. So I, I would just mostly keep learning. And uh, all that helped me when I had a chance to take a machine learning class in my third year. Uh, that was actually run by the computer science department. And my um, professor at the time, he was like, you know, I don't usually let electrical people take this class, but you guys are not going to do well, but maybe you can prove me wrong. And I ended up topping the class because I knew most of these things before. And even the assignments they would give, my CS friends would write for loops in Python because they don't know how to, yeah. you know, actually write code in Python for taking whatever they learn in C++. So that sort of... Uh, taught me, okay, there is something that comes more naturally. 
from my electrical background, all the signal processing, linear algebra, probability, everything is so easy for me. Uh, so this is my thing. And I went super deep into ML, did a lot of research in my undergrad. Um, I, I didn't realize then, but I was good at making deals even back then where there were these senior students in the lab of my professor and they would all have these GPU cards. And I would tell them, hey, give me your cards. Uh, they would be using it for playing games in the lab. And I would tell them, hey, you know what? Like, you can take my desk. You know, whatever desk was allocated for me in the lab, you can take it. Uh, in return, I want your GPU. And I would stay in the hostel and run experiments on it. And that's how, when DeepMind wrote the DQN, learning to play Atari games paper, my professor was like, you should try to reproduce it. And then you should try to do research on top of it. So that's how I got started into neural nets. And ever since then, I've been really obsessed about deep learning and RL. Um, that got me an internship with Yoshua Bengio. He's the Turing Award winner from Montreal. And he wrote a letter for me for PhD admissions. And I applied only to two schools, actually, uh, MIT and Berkeley. MIT rejected me. Berkeley admitted me. I remember going to my mom and saying, hey, uh, mom, I, I think uh, I'm going to Berkeley. And it's like, what is Berkeley? Uh, did you get into MIT or Stanford? That, because it, nobody in India actually, I, at least yeah. like my mom didn't know what even Berkeley is. By the way, that is for saying. every Indian who listening to this, they're like, yeah, I, I totally understand that. And everyone else is like, what are we talking about? So that is such a South Indian thing or Indian thing, totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And my mom was like disappointed. Oh, but, but you didn't get MIT. She was like, no, I'm on the wait list. Maybe I might get it, but Berkeley is the one that's confirmed. Okay, okay, let's wait till the wait list. Don't confirm with Berkeley. And until the last date, <laughs> we waited. She was like, MIT, you know, that's the that's the, like same thing, you know, same logic. But at that time, MIT was not even a good school for deep learning. And uh, yeah, so that got me to Berkeley. And John Shulman, the guy who invented ChatGPT at OpenAI, he was also from Berkeley. He noticed my work and he invited me to do an internship. So that changed my life. I got into OpenAI then. Um, for an intern in 2018. This was when Musk was still there in uh, OpenAI. And I remember Musk left OpenAI around the time I joined. Mm -hmm. um, and I was idolizing this guy. And then he calls at all hands and like announces that he's no longer going to be involved and swears at people left, right, and center and just leaves the room. It was a lot of drama. There was no HR in the startup. Like, I had, wait, I had to wait for like three weeks to even get a laptop. And, you know, they had no security. You could just clone the code base and use it in your personal laptop because they were just an open open source nonprofit at the time. So that's, it's not like you need all this. Ilya Sutskiver was basically running the company. Um, and um, from there, you know, I obviously was humbled. You know, I thought I was a good top of the field, research, like young researcher and like, I got like basically destroyed there. The people were way faster. Um, and like GPT-1 was being invented at the time by, by this this um, amazingly talented guy named Alec Ratford. Um, and that's when I knew that all this stuff I've been doing was based. Um, you know, this is the future. You got to work on unsupervised learning. Went back to Berkeley, told my advisor, we need to stop working on RL and start working on generative models and unsupervised learning. Um, spent like six months in my PhD after my internship doing no research, just reading about unsupervised learning because it was a, I came to do RL research, but transition. And um, that was like 
stressful, but also like one of the, my most important times. Like, and I learned so much. Like, I I had no experience running large GPU jobs. Like, usually people don't join PhD to like do a lot of systems engineering or like software engineering. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody likes the task of writing data loaders. Uh, learning how to run a model on like eight GPUs instead of one GPU. Everybody just wants to call the existing library and do it. But I could clearly see at OpenAI what happened if you just did that additional work, no new ideas, just take the existing ideas, but just do the additional work of running on more GPUs and training on more data, the magic that happened. So I put in all that effort to learn that myself during the next six months of PhD. And then I did some good work that got noticed by DeepMind and they invited me for an internship. So that's how my mm-hmm. career basically progressed. Every time I would look at something, I would realize I'm short uh, of like, you know, being at the top level, identify what I needed to do and just go all in on that. And uh, yeah, I'm very pr- like, those were formative years for me. Um, I want to get to perplexity in just a second, but it's kind of interesting because you kind of, you know, some people kind of make fun of me that I've kind of checked the checkbox of all the big social media companies, but you kind of check the checkboxes of, uh, you know, yeah. or what is probably, you know, hopefully, yeah. perplexity is going to be an iconic. And company, I'm sure but. you didn't do it. I'm sure you didn't do it just to get it to look good on your LinkedIn, right? You no, no, no. I, I, I followed I, your... No, I was not doing, I was not trying to be sort of a social media Thanos collecting the infinity gauntlet uh, stones. Uh, but, you know, you've been at both DeepMind and OpenAI, you know, yeah. a very different era, yeah. obviously. Uh, but kind yeah. of compare and contrast, maybe the cultures and the operations. And obviously, you were at a different time than what is happening now. But what is your, yeah. for people who have not seen the inside, compare and contrast? I think uh, I would say at, during my PhD years, DeepMind was the king. OpenAI was like this uh, small startup trying to unsettle the king, but the king was always the top. Um, and DeepMind had a very British culture. Um, like 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 research scientists were at a at a higher status, research engineers were at a lower status, um, and then managers or like like directors were like a higher status and like whatever, right? Like Demis was the highest. So it was run in a very British hierarchical way, uh, where REs were meant to serve the research scientists. Um, like, and, and it was not cool for research scientists to like go and dig into the details and like run jobs. Uh, it was more about coming up with a new idea on the whiteboard and like making magic happen. And there were research scientists that did that at DeepMind well. It's to be like, you know, very accurate. There were a yeah. few people like David Silver who just invent alpha zero in a vacation on, on a piece of paper so they did want people to be like that but open ai was the opposite there were these humble not even completed undergrad or like random college people um just just trying to like write code and like do the simplest things of scaling software across like a bunch of gpus and then getting even better results uh some of them were like alec radford greg brockman these were all like, you know, they, DeepMind would just make them research engineers and make them like work on projects that were run by research scientists. OpenAI, on the other hand, they were like, you have the guidance of this amazing guy named Ilya Sutskiber, but you can do whatever you want. Like, and, and you own the project and you can take it from conception to end. And they made, like, and, and, and initially OpenAI's mistake was copying DeepMind and everything, trying to hire the exact people DeepMind were trying to hire uh, going after all the famous researchers. 
And those guys, some of them ended up joining OpenAI, but they didn't end up like making an impact at OpenAI. Um, on the other hand, the guys they hired that were different nature, the, the people that DeepMind wouldn't hire are the ones who changed OpenAI's destiny. Like Alec Bradford, Dario, these were guys that were like outside the core AI background. Mm -hmm. um, and then they approached it, like, what does it mean to be intelligent in a very different way? They're like, maybe intelligence just emerges from training on a lot of data on the internet. Right. Instead of like, but DeepMind's approach why, was. Why do you think that was? Yeah. What you know? What made them come in? And it was it like the cultural difference between OpenAI? Like, what what made them be more successful on OpenAI and be able to try different things? Because uh, these guys were not PhDs who had published a lot of papers, so they would yeah. not be even hired as research scientists, right? So they would be treated as research engineers. And in DeepMind, the culture is the research engineer serves the research scientists. You're, you're like. It's a British culture. You, you're aware, you're all Indians, like we, we know what we lived yeah. through and like, you know, came, yeah. Came, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So there, uh, there is like a hierarchy uh, and you kind of like yeah, exactly. fit into that hierarchical standards. Yeah, yeah got exactly. It. Yeah. And uh, OpenAI ha disrupted that hierarchy. Maybe that, that is yeah. the true, true uh, thing to be said. That was in terms of company structure, but also yeah. DeepMind's philosophy of like how intelligence emerges was you build a bunch of simulators and you train an agent to be really good at uh, solving all these simulators at once. And that agent is the proto AGI, prototype of the AGI. Uh, this was the vision set forth by um, uh, their chief scientist, Shane Leck. Mm. So for a long time, DeepMind would just benchmark agents on like uh, thousands of simulations and keep building new simulations. Mm -hmm. OpenAI uh, initially was in the same approach too, uh, when they were building these projects like OpenAI Universe and stuff like that. But when those projects kind of failed, uh, they took a long look and said, we need to work on like some very hard problem like Dota or something like that. And 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 they realized their success at Dota was not through clever algorithms, but just scaling up the simplest thing. And then they went all in on scale. Um, and simultaneously, Alec Bradford made a breakthrough that predicting the next word on the internet gives you like very good general purpose language models. Together, then they connected the two insights. Like Dario connected the two insights saying, okay, scale works, language model works. Why don't we put the two together? Those two together. So let's go to large language models, LLM. So that became GPT-2. In fact, I remember Alec told me once that after GPT-1 was published, BERT from Google came out. And BERT questioned the whole idea that you even need to predict in a unidirectional way. Why don't you do bidirectional prediction if, if you just want a checkpoint that you fine tune? But um, OpenAI had the conviction that it's not about just fine-tuning. Uh, if you can train these models uh, on a lot of data, uh, cool skills like instructions following or like, you know, th things that you didn't even train for will emerge at test time. And that, that's how programmable computers can be built. And that's also their belief of how AGI can be built. So this was very different from DeepMind. And DeepMind didn't believe in blind scaling. Uh, again, due to like eliteness, oh, you want to like, Build clever algorithms. So right. this this is this was the opportunity. Yep. They took it, and Microsoft came and gave them a lot of funding, and then everything changed. Like, you know, there's a bunch of lessons to kind of unpack there. I mean, obviously these are brilliant people, and I'm generalizing, but I do think like I've had when I went from Facebook to Snap, right? I remember in Facebook engineers were king, and in Snap designers were king, right? And it's not that one is better or worse than the other. But you know, it's a total different. Like who gets who gets status, what ideas get pushed to, what they're optimizing for. 
And what you just said, you know, I think fits a pattern where, and look, DeepMind and what Google is doing is amazing. And, you know, it's very, very early days for whatever plays out. But there is definitely a world okay, of... For what it's worth, I want to clarify that um, Google Brain is not like this. I've also mm-hmm. spent time with Google Brain. Google Brain is, retains the Mountain View American culture of early days of Google, where it's not like Jeff Dean, because he had a PhD, is about the status of like writing low-level code. In fact, he wrote a lot of low-level code that basically Google is still running on today. Hmm. Got so it, got it's, it, it's, yeah. It's just DeepMind and the UK. Yeah, is, is, basically is it fair to, a lot of it. Yeah, sorry, go on. So is it fair to say that, uh, you know, like an organization which prioritizes publishing versus an organization which prioritizes engineering and usage wind up with basically the things that they're trying to optimize for? Exactly. Uh, I think I think these are the, it's, it's basically, it comes down to incentive structures. In fact, DeepMind yeah. didn't even care much about publishing in conferences. They only cared about getting a nature paper or a science paper. Mm. Because that is what is the elite. Again, like in the US, if you meet professors here, nobody cares about nature papers. They just want to publish. Mm. Uh, it, it's more being recognized by the elites is a thing that uh, UK values more. In my, At least yeah. that's my... Yeah. I my mean, I think that... Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because in six months of uh, living in London, we're starting to see that here, right? Like, and this is also, London for us is like a midpoint of like the Indian culture and the American culture. It's like kind of meets halfway. And so we're starting to see a lot of that in like daily aspects of life. It's like completely unrelated to like tech and the work we do and all of that stuff. But also I think, you know, to what Sridham had said, to me, part of it is like, it's yes, it's incentive structure. Part of it is also who whoever's like the founder ethos what the founder brings to the table or what the leadership team brings to the table so in case of snap you know even spiegel really focused on design that was his thing and so the company was entirely hinged on design being the priority and the incentives all aligned on like design like the first thing uh, facebook was all much more product slash end driven they like, and very very focused on ship fast, ship often, get things out the door, be very scrappy, done is better than perfect. And also Facebook had this like really great, like I liked it because it had this like great underdog culture. Like this is this like monster of a company and they would still be like, oh my God, this like little startup is going to come kill us. And so we have to like really wake up and like do this thing and like measure everything and very, very quantitative, but really like chip on the shoulder, aggressive, uh, mm-hmm. take, you know, we have to like nothing's taken for granted. And so I, I just think it's like whoever's the founder and whatever ethos they have, it kind of trickles downwards into the company into various incentives. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's that's very fair. And like, you know, the founders of OpenAI were obviously like fast moving, aggressive yeah. uh, mindset people. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to get to perplexity. Right, like because yeah, one of the things I remember the first time I heard about you guys, uh, which was because Nat Friedman, who's a good friend, um, you know, mm-hmm. I think I written a tweet about the shipping velocity that you had. I forget yeah. exactly when, maybe yeah. a year ago or so. And at the time, you, you guys are much earlier. And I think that I want to kind of point to something, which is obviously the product is fantastic. And you, and at the day I be recording this, Jensen Huang, Justice Unwired, you know, talking about how we use this perplexity. A lot of people use it. You're very much active on Twitter. But I do think, you know, look, we live in the era of a lot of people building on AI. You have a lot of people building very similar things to what you are doing. Um, and perfectly, you know, it's awesome. But you kind of talk about the podcast. But I want, one thing which I think is very interesting to me about what you do is that is the rate of shipping 
of product development and also maybe kind of talking about it, getting energy around it on Twitter, elsewhere, which seems different than what I would categorize as the median, hey, we are going to build on a large foundation model, build an experience, right? Which, by the way, I don't want to take away from that. You guys built something awesome. But there's definitely a shipping cadence product thinking. And I'll, I'll just add something. I hate kind of talking about private conversation, but I remember the first time I talked to Arvind, uh, I'll say this, I was like, I had some sort of random ideas, right? And the first thing, Arvind immediately then texts me back and he's like, oh, I popped this idea in our Slack. And he's like asking me about all these things. And I remember being like, oh, wait, nobody ever really does that. And my is yeah. probably like totally BS. So yeah. there is definitely sort of an energy to it. Part, I want to kind of pay you a compliment. But part, I also want to ask, like, where does it come from? How do you sort of like, you know, drive it into the culture? I mean, from the beginning, we, I actually, for what it's worth, I was humble enough to acknowledge that I had no um, ethos or culture of my own to like, you know, be very confident about. So I asked people like, what what is most important? Obviously, I asked Elad and Nat and like both of them were early investors in us and both of them, you know, pointed one thing, which is, Companies are all about recognizing one truth, right? One source of truth. Very, the earlier you discover it, the better for you because you can double down on it. Um, and double down also means raise more money and put allocate more budget towards it. The, 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 the later you are to recognizing the truth, it doesn't matter how much budget you have, how many people you have, it doesn't matter. Uh, and, and, and the best way for you to learn the truth is learn a bunch of small truths like every single week right like it's basically compounding right like yeah. you you learn one new thing every week then you have a new follow-up question you design you experiment you come back next week you have more truth and by the end of like six months you just learn so much about the world um that now you know exactly what the company should be right and uh, for me it was not just about what product or what sector it was also like how what is the culture that should work what is the people that we should hire everything was just a matter of experimentation and like learning um and and obviously you cannot learn stuff fast unless you ship fast and try and fail every i mean software is the only industry where you can fail fast you cannot fail fast and like if you're building a company like spacex or blue origin or something or even biotech you cannot fail fast so if you work in software you have to fail fast. There are not many companies that did not fail fast and still succeeded. Um, and um, e e you might even think, and maybe it's it's an exception and it doesn't apply to NVIDIA, but if you watch Jensen's uh, Stanford lecture, he also talks about how failure happens to everybody who experiments and you have to fail fast. And without experimentation, you just don't learn. So perplexity has always been about the experimentation culture in the beginning. We tried like so many products under the sun uh, because for us it was like, let's just get something out ASAP. Um, and, and you cannot get something out every week. Like there are some founders I know who just keep putting new products every week out of the same company. That, that's not, that, should, that cannot work. You cannot hire new employees if you do that. So we, we would test a lot with like people who we knew around us they wouldn't judge us for trying new things. And we would quickly learn. And that got us the muscle. It was the muscle was at the end of Friday. This is what Nat Friedman told me. By the end of Friday, if you didn't learn something new that week about your own company or your product or your users, you failed that week. Hmm. And you don't want to fail, right? Like nobody wants to fail. It's not fun. So if you mark that as a failure, that by end of Friday, nothing new was learned, 
that week, then you uh, will be pretty intense. You'll try to learn something new about your product or your users or your roadmap or your like business. And it still happens this week until today. Like every Friday, I run all hands and I tell exactly mm-hmm. like what we learned this week. Yeah. Now, can I maybe push you to kind of break it down a bit further? Because I totally obviously agree and love what you're saying. And I think we kind of talked about speed and cadence being the you know, the rhythm, the clock speed being one of the best things you can switch, right? But translate yeah. that philosophy into like sort of bare, like specifics. That's what do you do in meetings or how you do, uh, you know, product roadmaps or what is it yeah. kind of translated into in ways which may be unique for you that other companies may not be doing? Well, one thing I've done is um, avoid meetings as much as possible mm-hmm. uh, and try to communicate on Slack directly text and the reason i do that is because it forces people to get to the point faster like you cannot beat around the bush on slack because nobody likes to type really long messages nobody likes to read long messages so you have to get to the point you have to act sometimes i even though this was somewhat somewhat counterproductive in the beginning um we would even run arguments on slack like like arguments as in debates. I'm not not talking literally like yeah. personal arguments, but debates on what we should be doing. Even that would be on Slack because that way I I felt like people didn't have to like uh, cut cut down. They could just say exactly what me- they wanted. Uh, be factful. Like everything's there in the context. Like you don't have to put it all in your head. And um, at the end, like you can even look at and see like if you're making logical arguments or not. And, and specifically reply to certain things, not get lost across like too many people talking at the same time. So those kind of things I did very differently from what other companies have done. Obviously not scalable. Like, you know, right now, like if you argue on Slack, a public Slack channel in front of like 30, 40 people, it's, it's not, <laughs> not a good look for the company and people might new, new people might be like, what's going on here? But early days, it really helps to like get to truth. You, basically... If you can create the first five to ten people who are truth-seeking rather than social animals, yeah, right, like you, you can actually win because yeah. being truth-seeking is hard. Like this is also what Bezos said in the Lex podcast. Like yeah. we are not designed to be truth-seeking. Like nobody likes to hear the truth that yeah they're not doing well or like this thing is not working or like even if somebody comes and asks, hey, this thing is not working, but maybe you have the conviction here. Explain to me why you still think this is worth doing. Nobody likes to do all that. Like, wait, man, like, why are you coming and asking me? Just go do the thing that you're assigned. But the, they should ask because that's what forces you to, like, think even more. And um, this is the culture we set in the beginning and that really helped us a lot. I think that is that was probably my favorite part of the Lex Bezos podcast where, you know, to me, it, it was like a light bulb moment where it was like, like, I've been trying to articulate why... Um, the meeting culture or excessive meetings is just detrimental, right? Like everybody understands the time sink and all of that. But the reality is you spend a lot of time trying to, um, it's it's a bit like less focus on the tautology of it on whether you should do something or not do something and more about like how to frame it and how to position it and who's incentivized to do what and all these like mechanisms on like people and psychology and Sriram knows this where it's like, I think it is exhausting for me to like think about it as like 
oh, okay, now in this meeting, you have to say this and this, there is this order and there is like, you have to like right. sequences and, and then you sort of lose focus on why are we here? What did we want to do? Yeah. And what is the thing that you want to get out of it? And so meetings by itself is not bad, but it's really about how people have like started to abuse the nature of it to not yeah. look at the output, but look at the process itself as the, as the output. I think that's the problem. And also leading by consensus is not a good thing. Like, Yes, I agree. have a stakeholder, have a decision maker, mm -hmm. um, yeah. and you know, like you can influence them, but let let them take the decision at the end of the day. Yeah, and um, you know, like that 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 definitely helps. Like, you, you, especially also like design, you know, product design um, shouldn't be by consensus. There should be like one person making decisions. Yeah, I agree. Um, hey, one thing uh, that I was listening to one of your um, other talks on YouTube and uh, this was intriguing because uh, I think the question was you know who's your favorite entrepreneur and I fully expected you to say you know Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or you know Steve yeah. Jobs like those usually you know there's like the Silicon Valley yeah. Michael, yeah. like the set of people who always get picked and you said Larry Page and yeah. uh, and I was really curious because you know um, we've met Larry once uh, we think he's spectacular, uh, but curious to see why uh, you know you picked him or what about him was like resonating for you. I admire all of these guys for what it's worth. As, you know, yeah. It's impossible not to. They all are amazing. I guess I could relate more to Larry Page because he's the only academic turned entrepreneur out of all these. I watched the movie Pirates of Silicon Valley. I know you both like it too. <laughs> it is our it is our sort of like the movie which brought us together, you know, romance level. So yes. Yeah. Uh best Steve yeah, Jobs so movie of all time. Yeah. I, I loved it. I watched it uh, before I came to the US here. I, I wanted to find an example that that was more like not an undergrad dropout, right? When both of these guys were Zuckerberg was to YC was basically popularizing that a lot. Um Sam Allman was. So even Sam Allman went to the extent of saying, you ha you, we, we don't fund uh, uh, lower middle class, we only fund upper middle class people in YC because that's so, that our, our, our data suggests that's the highest correlation. So I basically like was like, okay, there's just no way you can do a company. Um, and then I see uh, Larry Page's story. Like he's not from a very well-to-do family. I mean, like obviously way better than I was, but you know, compared yeah. to American standards, not. And um, he was an academic. His dad was an academic, and and like his core idea was inspired by citations, like like Google Scholar, right? Like like PageRank. So that was, uh, and and I've read about all the early days of Google Books and his philosophy of like the user is never wrong in in product design is very amazing. Like like that is only only other entrepreneur was taught that way is like. Um, uh, uh, Steve Jobs and like you know in, then that shows in how or I guess Bezos too in terms of Amazon design the first early yeah. days one click buy like basically let let the product do the magic for you like don't don't uh, you don't need to mm -hmm. teach people to use products the product should yeah. be like so intuitive right mm -hmm. and, and 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 that obsession about latency uh, and 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 the contrarian thinking about you know when 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 Google started off and got the funding. Um, he could have gone and hired business development people, right? Uh, he went and hired PhDs. Yeah. Uh, and like, like the reason was we need to be better at search. Like, like nothing else matters. We don't need to build a business. We just need to be better at search. 
And if we are better at search, more people will use us. And when more people will use us, we'll eventually figure out how to build a business. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he didn't care about building business. In fact, there's a book where it says, John Doerr asked him, hey, Larry, in the potential scenario where this could make money, how much money do you think it could make? And and, and, and he's like a billion dollars. Oh, wait, do you mean a billion dollars in market cap? No, no, no I mean a billion dollars in revenue. I don't believe And like Doerr was like stumped. I was like, damn, this guy actually truly believes. Uh, because they were investing at a $100 million market cap. So they were like, okay, even 10x is great. But this guy was like, no, I, I actually mean we can make a billion dollars in revenue. Yeah. So, so um, sort of a docious thinking and obsession about scale and latency and great user design, like user-centric product design, uh, is what I really like about him and, and, and his academic background. I, I want to get to perplexity and the positioning right now. I think it's funny. But before that, because you just mentioned your background in IIT, some people watching this are probably going to be you from when, back when you were at IIT. I know you just visited there and, you know, um, did a bunch of talks there. Yeah. So for somebody who's watching, you know, they just finished high school, they got, you know, they finished IIT JE, they got into IIT Madras or whatever, they're yeah. kind of hanging out there. What would you ask them to do? How would you want them to think about the next five, 10 years of their life looking back now? Because they probably look up to, I mean, they definitely look up to somebody like you. Work work like hell, like work so hard. These are the best years of your life. Just give it everything, you know? If I wish I went back and like like changed something, I would have just worked even harder. Uh, I've worked hard, but like could have worked even harder. Yeah, and, and the reason I say this is because um, those were the days when I could pull three all-nighters in a week, no problem. Like, body body adjusts, I can eat whatever I want, I can eat at 3 a.m. in the night and, like, no stomach upsets, nothing. Now I can't do that. Like, I need to actually, I'm not that old, but still, you know. There, uh, wait, there, hold there, on, hold on. Like, did he just, Arthi, did he just call us, like, old? Know, he was like. I know. Yeah. There was, like, a backhanded insult in there. I, no, no, no. Denying it. Arvind's not even denying it. Oh, my goodness. All right. Oh. Hold on. All right, we want to make this podcast Bri- very hard right now. It's going to change tone. All right, go for it. Br- Brian Johnson hopefully helps us all like live forever. But That's anyway, true. the main point I'm, I'm trying to make is that even mentally, uh, the, the amount of concentration power you have for like uh, uh, like you know a significant unblocked period of time um, is, is, is going to get lower. So I would advise you all to work harder, seek more opportunities, cold cold email people it's fine obviously you know Sriram you've given a lot of advice on how to do that effectively instead of just to be able to stand out um, and uh, all, all these things matter like uh, the way you message what is the win for the person who's reading it to help you like you should think through all these things but try your best keep giving yourself more shots life is about like luck surface area right you're not gonna don't there are always people I know I've had these friends even in undergrad and if I meet them now, they're pretty much the same. They talk the exact same way, where they're all like, "Oh, that guy got lucky." Mm-hmm. And like that is that's that's fundamental. So, so change your attitude. It's easier to change your attitude when you're younger than older. Uh, it's hard because attitude change requires you to rewire your neural circuit a lot, whereas mm-hmm. learning new things that you already don't know is much easier in terms of gradient updates. Uh, so get to the right attitude that don't blame it on luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, just Give yourself more shots at success uh, and, and like everybody gets lucky chances in their life it's more about making sure you have enough surface area try and and that can only happen if you're opportunistic and like work super hard um i love it i love I, it i love it i think right. one the only thing i would add to that is on the attitude changes i think it's gonna be very important for you to surround yourself with the right people 
and yeah. somebody watching this yeah. available i'm sitting in the hostel room you know or dorm room wherever yeah. how do i do that and i think that's where the power of this stuff online communities etc right exactly. i'm sure yeah. you're like one dm one discord server away from any one of us or yeah. anybody here yeah. that really matters and i think people are like i don't know what's on that attitude it's very hard to understand that until you are in a whatsapp group or a dm group or hanging out with 20 other people then you like right. oh, i see what that means then you can yeah. take it so and i think yeah, that's yeah. another I, i agree i think arvind you had also like said that in one of the talks i'd seen where you'd said something like one of the things Shriram and I talk about a lot is uh, it is very hard to point to a culture or take somebody who's never like worked in a high performance, high productivity culture and and point to something like that and say that is how things are done and get them to understand it. You fundamentally have to be immersed in it and work with people like better than yourself, smarter than yourself, uh, works harder than yourself for you to like understand it. And one of the things that brought a smile to my face is when you talked about how you know when you went to iit madras it's like a pinnacle like you know anybody in india like knows iits are like the gold standard of universities then you went to berkeley and for what you're studying again like gold standard and you thought you know oh yeah like i i'm like really smart i've made it and then you joined open ai and you're like actually i'm not that smart like there are these people who are like much smarter than me um and they just like better and i think it is really important to constantly surround yourself with people who are just going to challenge you and push you because otherwise you just never know what it what you can be capable of yeah yeah 100% uh um i i also think it's a very very important like like attitude wise like intellectual honesty is 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 the best uh, uh like 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 thing you can adopt um and like pretty much all the great leaders in the world have that at least up to a certain point where mm-hmm. they were like really growing rapidly during that time phase um when when you know you're not the best at something um it's always good to like figure out like what you can be the best at rather than thinking oh the guy better than you is just more lucky or like he got it yeah. because he had a head start over you and trying to blame the world and like like trying to see what you can improve on your your end okay since you called us old i'm going to switch gears and ask you some tough questions uh <laughs> and, and uh He's not even denying it. I'm like, uh, but uh, so but no. Okay. Um, I we think, are all clear. Yeah. We should just embrace it. We should just embrace no, it. No, we're not. No, we're not. We are. Yeah. We're, we're all. We're all going to live for like hundreds of years because That's Brian true. Johnson is solving. Brian the, Johnson. This is uh, the previous guest on our show, by the way. So you're kind of yeah. following on some, but on perplexity, right? Let me kind of maybe there is a common question criticism that perplexity get, which I'm sure you kind of annoyed of answering, but maybe kind of a good chance for you to kind of like talk about this uh, uh, in this forum, which is. Uh, in a world where these LLM providers, right, like are going to get bigger, more sophisticated, right? You sit on top of a few, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What is, you know, what? how does perplexity stop itself from kind of being commoditized and kind of stay ahead of the curve? Like this kind of a different way of asking, okay, hey, if Gemini or Mistral or you know gpt x or cloud or whatever the thing may be it's just going to make this like so much better and better and better how does perplexity which kind of sits on top of that either continuously evolve to add value or do you risk kind of like the models just kind of dominate you know all the value all the experience all the stuff that you do right and i mean i you probably heard various versions of this but this is probably the core how do you think about that uh you know and, and you know how do you kind of respond to that 
I mean, first of all, uh, most people don't realize that uh, with just GPT-4, or like maybe a marginal be betterment over GPT-4, the problem of answering a question given uh, like a chat conversation is more or less solved. Like the long tail can only be solved by rolling out a product and creating the data flywheel and knowing where these models fail and like fine tuning them and like, you know, improving your index and things like that. And that can only be done by somebody who actually has so much user data on this one particular use case, which is us. Uh, we do not need a better model beyond what already exists. And the there will be an open source model that will be of GPT-4 nature very soon. It's just a matter of time. It's inevitable that that happens. So I will flip the whole commodity thing to the, the, the other direction, which is the models are going to be the ones that, that are going to become commodity, not, not the products. Mm -hmm. And there is something unique about every product. Every consumer product will be unique in its own way for its design, what emotions it invokes in the user, like its user experience, its accuracy, its speed, its reliability. And that's where we are focused on, right? And we, if we only do things that are just about answering questions, obviously, like, we're not going to uh, go too far. If you're literally like, oh, given any query, we just give you an LLM summarized answer. You got to do more. Like, look at Google, right? Like, if you type in, like, Djokovic, it just gives you the latest score. It's not just stopping with his bio or, like, Wikipedia page. So the user intent, you got to keep working on the user intent and innovate for the user and keep giving new things. And the internet... And, and like online uh, information keeps changing every every day that there needs to exist one company or at least multiple companies that are taking the responsibility of providing accurate information in the fastest and most readable way. That is what we are. Model is a tool for us. Models are the ones we think are going to be a commodity unless somebody builds a AGI-like model, which is completely like next level. And that's not going to impact the product as much as you think because you don't need that model to answer like the simplest queries. You're doing that model to probably do a lot more detail, like agent-like work. And we're not in that market actually, right? So the, most of these arguments about um, us not being a commodity is wrong. If we are a commodity, then why is it that even Gemini is not better than us or ChatGPT is not better than us? A, a commodity means like there needs to be 100 products like complexity, right? But the best engineers at Google or OpenAI or Meta are not able to make a chatbot as fast and accurate as perplexity, which means whatever we're doing is actually not easy, right? right? Right. And I'm not saying that it'll never be possible for anybody to be as good, but it takes a lot of commitment and money and like talent to do this that it basically debunks the commodity argument. I think there's something very powerful there, which is um, when you have a set of people really focused on one thing, it is very hard to compete with that. Like, I'll, I'll give you a classic example. Like, I remember, like, 15 years ago, people would say, like, oh, Dropbox, you know, um, like, anyone can go build that. But, uh, you know, for, for a long period of time, like, they were just so focused on nailing the experience, nailing some hard technical problem that really was. Now, I think we kind of talked about the LLM side. I'm kind of curious on the other side of the equation, which is you have user experience where you yeah. live in a world where Google owns a web browser, Apple owns iOS, so kind of like the place where the users touch the pixels, right? So that is maybe the other sort of like, like for example, you know, Sundar is a nice guy, you know, fellow Tamilian, et cetera, et cetera. But someday he became evil Sundar, right? He was like, you know, and he was like, he's going to base Sundar and he was like, I'm going to go crush Arvind. 
right? Like, uh, what would he do? He'd be like, well, uh, I'm going to basically make Chrome default to, you know, Gemini, et cetera, right? Like, uh, whatever. So how do you think about that side on the distribution consumer access side? I mean, firstly, he had the opportunity to do this all this while, right? It's it's not it's not about him <laughs> being based or good. It's more that their business model is what prevents him from doing this. He's in a position where he needs to like like keep making the seventeen billion dollars of operating income every quarter, which is all coming from like not doing Gemini to everybody, right? Uh, so that is our opportunity. It's not it's not about like him as a person. I think he's a good person, like. If you if you take it away, <laughs> take away Google. Um, now distribution wise, how we are thinking about it is we are supporting the next next generation products like Arc Browser or like Rabbit devices or like you know many other partnerships that we are going to announce. And um, it's easier for us to work with the up and coming ones than the bigger ones today because uh, the bigger ones are deeply locked in like many decades of relationships and like like hundreds of millions of dollars at stake, maybe even for some people. For mm -hmm. Apple, it's like tens of billions. So they're not going to like, it's also like kind of naive to expect them to change and come to you, right? And we can, our goal is to accumulate users in whatever way possible. We're being very creative about it in like so many different ways that go beyond the traditional, get yourself in a place where users are in terms of the pixels. Um, and when we get to a point where we can actually compete on such deals, that's when interesting things can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and also the government is aware that, you know, Google has basically bought its way into like um, every user um, rather than actually keeping up and innovating and being the best product. And so like at least our hope is in the future, even if Google is the default, uh, every user will be asked to pick something at the beginning. Yeah. I, but I think I love what you folks are doing the distribution BD side. Uh, it's kind of you know, uh, like, for example, like every new company, I feel like you guys have a partnership. I was watching one of your podcasts recently and you're talking about an incident where if I paraphrase, like you, ha you know, Meta, if I remember, kind of gave, you know, it's somebody that you wanted to kind of have work in perplexity, like kind of this huge offer, kind of tempted him or her away. I think it was Meta or Google, I forget. Google, um, Google. Google sorry, my bad. Uh, and, but I think, I heard similar versions of stories from Meta too. Um, and I guess, you know, you know, I, I want to kind of flip this a little bit to you are a founder in maybe the hottest space right now. Um, and, you know, there's a huge war for talent, huge war for maybe GPUs also a little while ago. So I'm kind of curious, how, how does it feel on the inside? Like, you know, like how do you sort of like compete for talent? How do you sort of like, how do you, how, how do you kind of make sure you guys win when you're trying to close that next engineer or get the next batch of GPUs because it's not, you're in the moment in time right now, which is quite unique. I mean, the, usually the argument for like big company versus us is obviously the fast speed and like, you know, the Patrick Carlson argument, like no matter how good you are or how bad you are, you're not going to make a big dent difference for, for their future. Like, like companies mostly run by PMs, VPs, and like whatever they want <laughs> is decided by the board and CEO. Like those are what matters. Uh, and 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 uh, it's very different from a startup. So that's that's the argument. And if you want to truly measure up, if you want to see if you're capable of something harder, uh, the best way to like know that is come to a startup and like you know jump into the water and see how you can swim. Um, but then 
that argument works for people who are genuinely excited about challenges and not motivated by money. If someone is motivated by money and viewing startup as a way to make more money, then um, usually it's never a good thing. Usually the big company will match whatever we offer. Sure, we'll say you have more upside here. Uh, they'll say, okay, S&P 500 is growing too. Like it's, it's not going to matter. And like liquidity in hand is better than like something like uh, more risky. So I usually just give up. I just tell them, look, if you want something more than money, you come and join here. And I don't even want to attract people who are motivated by money today. Like, mm -hmm. like you will become rich if company becomes successful. No, no questions about it. But don't join here if you're motivated by money because um, I think there is this yeah, life, work-life balance-wise, you're going to make way better in terms of money and trade-offs in terms of your time by staying back at Google or working at Meta or like, you know, even like say working at another like 5,000, 10,000 employee startup. But also that's adverse selection, right? Like you also almost don't want that cohort of people. Yeah, we don't want, we are still like under 100, yeah. 150 people company. And I think the hunger and like the mission focus should be there. And uh, yeah. the, the sooner you lose it, the more you will also operate like a big company and deal with like people problems and people complaining about pay or like, not being happy, all these things will come very soon. And also, yeah. it depends on the individual. Like some people do need money, by the way. Like I'm not yeah. like I'm not judging anyone for being motivated by money. Uh, I understand what it means to be like that. Uh, in that case, it's really in your interest to go and work on that. Like, and, yeah. and not like, you know, try to solve two objectives at, one, at once. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, one thing, you know, we are getting close to time. You know, we're past the hour mark. Uh, so I wanted to ask one question, which was uh, you'd initially said, you know, right at the beginning of this on searching for the truth, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, focusing on searching or getting to the truth. And you do that pretty much on like a weekly basis. You know, when you started you know, perplexity coming out of, you know, deep mind, open AI, all of that. And all the way to this journey now to like, if you put like a dotted line into the future, what is the truth that you are searching for or you're looking or hoping to find as far as perplexity is concerned? I would say we've done. Perplexity is also a truth-seeking product and in, in it helps people get knowledge and information in the most accurate way. So we, we have parallels between how we behave in terms of our culture and how the product embodies that. Uh, that's actually one thing I, sh I should have mentioned earlier, which is three values are like quality, uh, like, 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 as in like truth, velocity, and accuracy, like, like that, that, that we reflect in the product too, by being fast moving, shipping fast, trying to be as accurate as possible and giving the answers and like trying to like, uh, give like really well rendered formatted answers. Uh, and we reflect that in our culture too, in terms of velocity, that like being like fast shipping culture, latency of the product being very fast, that there are parallels. And that's what I kind of like about this company because uh, that re reflects the Ben Horowitz thing too, that the, the, what you do is who you are. So if you are by nature like fast, you, you don't want bureaucracy, then your product should also reflect that. And, like, and like the best way to like constantly remind yourself what your product should be is how you behave on a day-to-day -day basis too. Similarly, like try to set, tell the truth. Don't, don't beat around the bush. If somebody comes and asks you a question, try to give them a direct answer. Same thing with the product. Don't beat around the bush. Try to be ac as accurate and useful answer as possible. And like, I think that that helped me. But reading that book, he, I think the other book he wrote was um, um, Hard Thing About Hard Things, where 
best way to design culture is like through your actions like you know like 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 uh amazon des designed frugality because that's what they wanted so they enforced it by making these desks from wood from the door so it's yeah. it's always in front of your eyes right so um and and like you wouldn't find such kind of broken desks in square where D dorsey actually cares about design so the, these kind of things are important and like i want perplexity to always be a company that values accuracy and like conciseness and um like 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 being fast moving because that that's the best way we remind ourselves what the product should also be about and yeah. what wonderful that's and great. What, i don't think you're going to end better i went this is a blast thank you so much for coming right like thank uh, you sure. happy, thanks so much this is brilliant and happy to announce it every all of us we're going to be joining perplexity but and no thanks I'll for perplexity you know thanks for coming on our show but also thanks for just building perplexity for me I've basically replaced Google with perplexity um and uh, I you know it's I sent I think I sent you a Twitter DM too it's basically done a lot of work for me for podcast prep for anything else that I want to do you've saved me hours of time of just manually scrolling through a lot of blue links and trying to figure out like where is the value here so this fantastic product thank you for building it and I hope you keep crushing it thank you Shreyam thank you Arthi no thanks so much Arun